Begin Podfix Network transmission in three, two, one. This is Bewilderbeasts, an infotainment show dedicated to inspiring curiosity for all ages by investigating the ways animals intersect at humanity. I am not a historian, an ethologist, a researcher, a scientist, a zoologist, a trained audio engineer, or an expert in, well, anything. Y'all, I'm lucky if I can remember to put my clean laundry in the dryer before it gets funky. And while I make every effort to present things as accurately as I can with a fun flair, I'm going to mess up. And that's okay. I hope I've given you a nice place to jump off from on your own adventures into curiosity, or at the very least, I've given you the key to win your next round of trivia. Hello and welcome to Bewilderbeasts. I'm your host, Melissa McKee McGrath, recording today 10,819 kilometers from South Korea. Today on Bewilderbeasts, an update, season three shenanigans, and going back to our roots of puckish poultry, frisky feathering, and cursing corvids. All right, let's go. Hi, everyone. Quick update here up at the top. I'll be taking a break and featuring some best of episodes for the next month. I forgot that last year at this time, I had committed to putting together a presentation to help dog trainers, which is great. It's something I'm really excited to do. And that presentation's in March, and I completely forgot about it until this week. (laughs) So given that each week of Be A Little Beast takes me about 20 hours of work, which is something I love to do. It's uh, basically a bunch of research, which is really fun for me. I was the nerd who loved doing book reports in school. <laughs> and if you think about it, Bewilderbeast is like a book report every week. And this show is my baby and I love it, but it does take a lot of time. And I want to do this other project right, because that's my actual professional thing. So I do have to give that my entire focus for the next few weeks. And hey, I'm really excited about it. And if you happen to be a dog trainer and need CEUs, check out the offerings over at Raising Canine. I've done some presentations for them before. Susan Smith gets a bunch of really cool dog trainer speakers and behavior people in there. So if you get a chance and this is your job and this is how you found this show, awesome. Go check out Raising Canine. And if you want to see what I'm talking about specifically, it'll be on March 9th. But after that, I'm going to take a little bit of extra time to write and record some extra episodes for this show for the rest of March. So that way they'll be ready to go in April, which I'm going to call season three. Why? I mean, I don't know. Why not? I mean, it seems like five weeks off is a long break. So season three it is. So season three will go from April until the end of May. And then we're going to be off except for patrons for summer break, just like we did last year. So to everyone who sent in an episode and topic ideas, you are the best. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for sending in stuff. You make the rock and world go round. You're the bee's knees, all that stuff. Um, And thanks to you, I now have a list of things that I can pull for all of season three. And I'm going to be using it in the coming month to curate those episodes and to make those episodes happen. So thank you. Oh, and Patreon folk. You are still going to get your new episode for March in your personal feed. Um, It's going to be about Ireland and why everyone in Ireland suddenly loved dogs on March 17th. <laughs> also, patrons, peep your mailboxes. A little something extra went out for you guys today, uh, which is Thursday, 217 22 
And I hope you like it. Um, let me know what you think. Send me feedback and suggestions. And, you know, post away on social if you like. That's fine. I would love to see what you guys think. Okay, I think that's it for housekeeping. This week is going back to our roots. Our very, very old roots of swearing birds, frisky feathered friends, and one little update from a season one fan favorite. Three shorties this week, just like the old times. And I'll see you after a short few weeks break. We'll return the first week of April for season three of Bewilderbeasts. All right, on with the show. In 2002, when skinny belts, super low-rise jeans, and crop tops were in... Wait a second. Aren't those in... now? Huh. A young rooster escaped from a Grange Supply store. This seems to be a tractor supply store here in the Northeast. But assuming that this rooster needed a Joe to go, he flapped over onto the glass of the drive through window of a local coffee shop, terrifying the poor employee working the window. It's like Alfred Hitchcock the birds at this drive through window. The local farm supply store where the rooster escaped showed up, collected the rooster, brought him back to roost, but he didn't want to roost. He wanted to brew. So he escaped again, went back to the coffee shop, and that's where rescue and reunification efforts completely ceased. The coffee shop folk decided to just start feeding him a chicken-appropriate diet. They ended up buying chicken feed for him, and customers started bringing him mealworms. It's funny to me that we can't seem to get people to bring reusable cups to the drive-thru, but honey, I'm going out for my mocha choga latte chino. Can you grab the mealworms for me in the fridge? But anyway, if this rooster was going to stay at the coffee shop, he needed a name. So setting the example of great naming conventions to follow for the next several decades, before there was Bodie McBoatface or later Plowy McPlowface, Two times where internet polls determined the name of something which didn't backfire at all, there was a black rooster who was named by the people. For the people. The people in this case were the customers and employees of the Your Espresso Coffee Shop, a small drive through coffee stand in the parking lot near the big chain office supply store in Issaquah, Washington, United States, where the rooster was named McNugget. The best part is that in many residential areas across this great land, people cannot keep roosters legally. They are loud, and contrary to popular belief, they don't just like cock-a-doodle-doo when the sun rises. They cock-a-doodle-doo whenever they cock-a-doodle-want. All the time. Oh look, a bus. <coughs> oh look, the sun. <coughs> oh look, a cloud that looks like Joe Rogan. Sorry, wrong bird. In fact, when I worked at MSPCA's Nevins Farm, that was the center that took in exotic animals and farm animals, there would be several roosters on site at all times as people with backyard chickens either didn't know boy chickens fertilized eggs making the eggs inedible, whoopsie, or that their town didn't think too kindly on roosters growing in the suburbs at all hours of the day. There was a lot of roosters brought into the shelter, y'all. So many roosters. I mean, I personally enjoyed that they all sounded off in a cacophony of cockadoodle-doos when I drove in every Monday, but I also only worked there on Mondays. I didn't live there. So to me, it was a treat. To everyone in the surrounding area, probably less so. 
But while denser residential areas where people live tend to have these no-rooster laws, the same laws did not exist for industrial and commercial areas, at least not in Issaquah. No one lived at the Staples. No one camped overnight at the coffee shop, to my knowledge. And so no one tried to have McNugget evicted. And there he stayed, downtown, for 13 years. And that in and of itself is quite a feat. Most chickens die before they turn eight, and 15 is incredibly rare, which, if you know anything about chickens, is not a recommended method of eating poultry. For those 13 years, it appeared that McNugget wasn't totally lonely. In the way that theater kids want to be a star and leave small towns for New York City, McNugget flew the coop to become part of a different feathered family, one that accepted him for who he was, the Staples parking lot pigeons. McNugget lived to 13, where unfortunately a loose dog captured what a customer thought was McNugget and ran off with him. The employees at the Eurespresso shop didn't believe it until the next morning when McNugget did not fly down from his little maple tree in the parking lot like he always did. And he wasn't in his little house, which was a doghouse that an animal rights advocate had set up for him for cold nights years prior. McNugget made quite an impact on this little part of Issaquah. When you search for your espresso coffee in Issaquah, you discover that it's permanently closed. But scrolling through the photos that tagged the place, it's clear that they adopted the rooster as their mascot. There was a whole painting of a rooster on the exterior of this coffee shop, a couple of outdoor statues and a metal art piece that adorned the grass near the drive-thru. And when you search Facebook for your espresso, there is one post, and it's from the verified City of Issaquah government page. And it reads, quote, A year ago, our community lost a beloved icon, McNugget the Rooster. Earlier, we laid flowers at McNugget's memorial to pay our respects. Hashtag RIP McNugget. End quote. So doing what I always do, I wanted to follow the line that was led, so I clicked on the hashtag. I figured I might see one or two customers bummed out that McNugget died, but no. There were half a dozen news articles on the death of this rooster, memorials at most festivals through 2015 after his death, and local clubs all felt moved to pay their respects to this rooster. Here are just a few examples. The Issaquah Alps Trail Club, a club dedicated to the protection of the lush mountains, valleys, rivers, and streams in the Issaquah Alps region and beyond. Their Facebook page said, quote, the outpouring of community spirit over the demise of McNugget the Rooster has been amazing. Maybe we need to rename a minor peak McNugget's Roost. I'm not sure if I'm joking or not. End quote. I really hope that happened. Lefse Fest is a festival that celebrates Scandinavian culture. And their Facebook page said, quote, The Maypole at June 6th Lefse Fest will honor resident rooster McNugget. Hashtag R.I.P. McNugget. Later, a Halloween celebration at Pickering Farm that year had a memorial piece honoring McNugget the rooster in their hayfield. Y'all, when KOMO News in Seattle ran a piece on McNugget, over 275 people were moved enough to write something to this rooster, including mostly condolences to those who loved McNugget. People recalling his stories, a few really cool pictures, one emphatic, no, McNugget, why, God, why? 
And because it's the internet and we can't have nice things, a few folks chiming in about off-topic things and one that did actually make me giggle. Would someone please think of the children? I did not see any comments from McDonald's on the demise of what was maybe massive copyright infringement, which is why legally he was McNugget, spelled in the Mick Jagger fashion, instead of the traditionally spelled McNugget, as in the four or six pieces that come with delicious dipping sauces and toy. Hashtag RIP McNugget. You know what? We have not had a good foul-mouthed bird on here in a while. Pole? <coughs> Swearing birds, specifically cheeky corvids like ravens, crows, magpies, nutcrackers. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Read that wrong. Nuthatches. Nutcrackers, very different. Not a bird. Um, also jays, like blue jays. They are all birds smarter than most Mensa students. And the puckish ones are the bread and butter of shows just like this. Janelle Shatuk rescued a female raven and named it Cosmo. Hopefully this is a licensed rescuer and rehabber. We've been over this several times on the show. And while it's illegal to keep crows, magpies, and ravens as pets, Cosmo was a free bird who lived on her farm, but she was so used to humans. Cosmo the raven was particularly fond of the kids at the daycare nearby, but would go and hang out at the daycare at the same time the kids were dropped off, picked up, or were outside for outside time. So while the family was away for Thanksgiving break, a neighbor captured Cosmo, apparently not as fond of her antics, and brought her to a wildlife rehabilitation center. The center, not knowing that Cosmo the raven, A, loved people, and B, had clearly defined territory, thank you very much, released Cosmo really far away from both people and her clearly defined territory. She was released, they think, near Grant's Pass. This was 30 miles away from where Cosmo lived for two years in Williams, Oregon. And that's when Cosmo ended up flying towards people. Apparently, she was looking for Janelle as she would sit on top of Planet Fitness and yell out phrases like, Mama, wake up, I'm fine, and dogs out. These are all phrases that she would say all the time at home, and those things made sense. But if you were going in to get your fitness on and a crow is yelling at you, I'm fine, and dogs out, or better yet, as Mental Floss put it, quote, cussed like dialogue had been written for it by Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> I might not use the gym that day. When swearing at passerbys didn't work, Cosmo likely heard the familiar sounds of children. Remember, she loved the daycare. So kids running around before and after school sound very similar to daycares across this great land. Off Cosmo went. And this is where things get interesting. Cosmo followed a truck of a family friend in Grant's Pass. Y'all, Corvids famously remember faces. And if they like you, you're great. They might even bring you shiny things. But if you cross them, even once, tease them, yell at them, look at them funny, anything like that, well... Let's just say that there's a reason it's called a murder of crows. No, 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 no. They won't actually kill you, but they will swoop and swarm and aggravate and attack you, and it's terrifying. It's unsurprising to those who know ravens and crows that this bird likely recognized the one truck of the one child 30 miles away that Janelle happened to know in Grant's Pass. 
Recognizing the kid, Cosmo bopped up to him, he opened the door, and that's how Cosmo ended up in Allendale Elementary School. <laughs> Which, super fun for all involved, except for maybe the teachers, because this bird knew a lot of words. Many of them I cannot say on this show. Remember, though, it has been several days, or even weeks. Cosmo's people back in Williams thought for sure she was killed or dead while they were gone at Thanksgiving. They were understandably devastated. But not the kids in the fifth grade classroom. Cosmo started bopping around saying, I'm fine, and eating kids' snacks. She also started swearing like a sailor. And swearing in front of 10-year-olds is a surefire way to lose control of a classroom. Teachers, y'all do not get paid enough for the work you do. Teaching division to fifth graders and now keeping those same fifth graders calm for reading hour is going to be impossible with a swearing crow in your classroom. <laughs> it's at this point that animal control was called in because the crow slash now we know a raven, while super smart, ended up getting a suspension slip for swearing from the school principal. But they are smart. They're not smart enough to read the detention slip, nor did Cosmo know or care what a principal is. Animal control walked up. This is our time to shine. I'm picturing them strutting in with smoke machines in the background. I'm cool and I will handle this biz. You know, that kind of music playing over them, like a theme song. And as soon as they realize that this crow is smarter than everyone in the room and realize they don't get paid enough for this, the record scratches. And they are just like, uh, this is out of our jurisdiction while standing in their jurisdiction. <laughs> yeah, animal control bounced. Another phone call up the animal officer chain of command and in rolls the wildlife officer from the Oregon State Police. The officer was able to hand feed Cosmo but knew enough not to try to capture the bird with a net because, quote, she'll remember. Remember the remember thing? You don't want to miss and then have this raven target you for misdeeds. And this wildlife officer knew it. And while the kids of the school all started to circle the classroom to watch all of this go down, because let's be real, no one is studying anything when there's a wildlife situation inside of your school building. Cosmo, by the accounts of the people on site, seemed to enjoy the attention, pinged around and chased kids, and seemed to be playfully engaging. Though I don't pretend to know enough about birds and crow body language or raven body language to know if this is even true. <laughs> Anyway, after all this went down, the kid who let the bird into the school went home to actually have an answer to when his parents asked, what happened in school today? Instead of the typical, I don't know, or nothing. Every kid in school that day actually talked to their parents about the Corvid at the school. <laughs> but this dad, friends with Janiel, went to Janiel's Facebook page to say, hey, this crow in my kid's school seems like something your raven would do only to discover from her Facebook page that her raven was missing. He called her, she drove down, and 45 minutes later got Cosmo back. It turns out all you needed was a can of sardines. Weirdly, something none of the children had in their lunchboxes the day before. So kids, the takeaway isn't befriend wildlife. We know that that's not the takeaway here. Because Cosmo was used to people, she was able to get into quite a bit of trouble. But the lesson? Always... Always have a can of sardines with you in your lunchbox just in case someone's habituated Corvid ends up needing snacks. Ew. Oh, and this is great. And the neighbor who brought Cosmo to the Wildlife Rescue Center to begin with? I'd look out if I were them. Ravens remember. 
And as of December 10th, Cosmo had not gone back to visit that particular neighbor. So either the remembering Raven is plotting revenge, or she's thinking, I don't want to go back to the birdie big house again. I'll just stay put, thank you very much. Except for the daycare. I just love those kids. And one last update before we go on break. Do you all remember Magawa the bomb-sniffing rat from episode 10? Well, Magawa has passed away. He was eight years old and had been the most successful landmine detection rat in the history of these service animals. This rat could search a tennis court-sized field for landmines in 20 minutes. Well, that's not hard. That's not that big. Okay, look. While searching for underground landmines that can explode and kill people, it takes time. And a person searching the same tennis court-sized field with a metal detector would need one to four full days in what Magawa could do in 20 minutes. That's less than a Blue's Clues episode or a Bob's Burgers episode. If you go back to episode 10 of Bewilderbeast, you'll also meet Magawa, the bomb-sniffing rat who saved thousands of Cambodian people and earned a gold medal for just being a bomb rat. Bomb as in cool and heroey, not bomb as in explosive. Though Magawa did that too. Or rather, didn't explosive. Magawa was trying to keep the explosives from going. I think you know what I mean. And while eight years might seem like a short time compared to a dog or a cat, for pet rats you might be accustomed to seeing, they only live to about two to three years of age. Magawa made it to eight, which is longer than most African giant pouched rats. So he lived a long and happy life of service, enjoyed three years of retirement, and passed away peacefully. R.I.P. Magawa. So that's it, guys. That's season two. I'll see y'all with new stories in April. Send in what you want for best of episodes. The ones that are most suggested are going to be the ones that I'm going to pull from and feature. And then we'll go from there for season three. On deck, we have battling moose at a clothing store, bees making honey out of invasive species poop, ew, protesting animals, driving animals, more crime-solving animals, and I'm sure we'll have more leaders who died in spectacularly stupid ways (laughs) involving animals. Those are my favorites. So if you have favorites too, send them in. And thank you to Brian, Christy, Callie, Amanda, AC, Calvin, Zoe, Daniel, Laura, and Danny for sending in all of your great ideas over the last two seasons and for sending in great ideas for next season already. So all y'all know what to do. Go get curious. I'm Melissa McKee McGrath with Mudstuff Media, all episodes streaming for free at bewilderbeastpod.com. Email bewilderbeastpod at gmail.com. Tweet at bewilderedpod. Facebook, Instagram, you can find me. It's not that hard. Patreon for extra episodes, all that stuff. And today's information from Seattle Times, q13fox.com, Oregon Live, Mental Floss, and Facebook which I don't really love using Facebook, but those comments were pretty great. Intro music is Tiptoe Out the Back by Dan Leibowitz. Interstitial music is by MK2. All additional music and sound effects are by freesound.org and pixabay.com. If you get a moment, share one of your favorite episodes with a curious friend. Tell your teacher, tell whoever. Share these fun facts, and I will see you guys in April. And if you want to listen to some best ofs, or if you have best of ideas that you want to share with maybe new listeners, Send in your favorite episodes, and we'll use those through March. 
Have a great week, and I will see you guys in April. Bye-bye. You've been listening to a podcast of the Podfix Network. Discover more audible gems like this at podfixnetwork.com. Make sure to catch up-to-the-minute network shenanigans by following at Podfix on Twitter, official underscore Podfix on Instagram, at Podfix Network on Facebook. And make sure to subscribe to Podfix Presents wherever you choose to find podcasts. The Podfix Network, artist owned and loved.